When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. The Athletic. Let's talk about six, baby. Let's talk about you and me. Let's talk about all the good things and the bad things that may be. Let's talk about six. It's between the lines for Jota. It's not been dealt with by the defence and his. Sadio Mane is the moment for him it is. And it goes towards Oxlade-Chamberlain. Salah down the line. The ball by Alexander-Arnold. Salah, oh, what a finish. Okay, thanks for your company. Today's Red Agenda is handed over to you guys. It's your questions in the mailbag on Klopp, Salah, signings and much more making up the podcast. I'm Steve Hoppersall. James Pierce is here to get through some of the biggest issues on your mind at the moment. Uh, when James punted for questions, they came in in their droves. So let's kick straight uh, into them. Uh, we'll start with a light-hearted one because they're not all light-hearted, James. So um, this is from Drew. If you could go on a pub crawl with three current squad members, who are you taking and what are your good reasons for taking them as well? Oh, that's a tricky one, isn't it? Because, um, yeah, I don't, I don't think there's too many members of that squad that embrace the idea of a pub crawl. They're so professional these days, aren't they? I think... It, re- it reminds me of a few years back when, when Klopp said that he had to tell everyone that no one could leave the Christmas party before 1am. Because it was like, usually it's the other way around, isn't it? The manager putting the rules down to stop players going out rather than, than encouraging them to. But um, yeah, certainly times have changed, haven't they? When you think back to the stories of the, of the legends of the uh, 70s and 80s and, and uh, some of the escapades they, they tell on the after-dinner circuit. I think I'd have to pick the two fullbacks. I think that would be a good value night out. Trent Alexander-Arnold and Andy Robertson. I think the fact that they've got a decent rapport going on, and I'd have them too. And then I think I'd add a bit of a bit of South American pizzazz as well into the mix with Roberto Firmino. I think judging by his social media, he's one of the few that does like to to let his hair down and knows how to party occasionally, especially when it comes to those uh, that break in the summer between seasons. So yep. Yeah. Trent, Robbo and, and Firmino for me. Yeah, and maybe Ox for the music if you want to tag someone on the end of it. Right, let's get to some of the, the bigger issues around Liverpool Football Club. Uh, we'll start with this one from Red Sam. What did you make of Mo's penalty uh, against the Ivory Coast and his performances in AFCON? I mean, I suppose to take the fifth penalty in a penalty shootout, there's a, there's a degree of pressure, but as always, he's so cool, isn't he? Yeah, ama- amazing. I mean, he, he took probably the biggest pressure penalty in, the, in, in, in Egypt's history with the one that, that got them through to the, the World Cup. And you wouldn't want anyone else, would you, on a pressure moment like that? Because he has that amazing ability to, to block out everything outside and, and focus solely on the, on the job in hand. And I don't think anyone watching it had any doubt that he was going to be the hero at that moment. Yeah, I think it's difficult for him, isn't it? I think when you watch Egypt play, because he's on a different level to so many of his teammates. It's you know he doesn't have that luxury, does he? When when we talk about those other kind of players that he's vying for, 
for these World Player of the Year accolades. He isn't surrounded by the talent, certainly, that someone like Lionel Messi is for Argentina or Cristiano Ronaldo for Portugal or even down to Lewandowski for, for Poland, I'd say. So there are times in, in Egypt games where the service to him just isn't isn't anywhere near, obviously, what he's able, what he's used to, and he's not able to influence games to the, the same degree, but... You know he does as much as he possibly can in that team to to drag them over the line and um, yeah into the quarterfinals already and I'm sure I'm sure Mo will be looking to be the hero again next time around. Absolutely, I'm sure there was some Reds thinking. I hope he misses this <laughs> just so many can come <laughs> home early. But it's not happening. Egypt are, are continuing, and I don't know what Eric Bailly was up to with his penalty. Not that not that we're particularly bothered. That was a shocker of a penalty at such a big moment, James. It was, yeah, yeah, and it it just shows, I guess, some players just cannot handle those big pressure moments, can't they? We've seen it time and time again in shootouts at major tournaments, and I, th- I think you're right in terms of probably mixed emotions watching it, because of course you want Liverpool's international contingent to be successful and to enjoy glory, and it, you know, great to see that beaming smile on Mo Salah's face. But yeah, of course, I think Liverpool fans are certainly part of part of you be thinking could do with him back as soon as possible because um you know he is so important but you know of course he's through to the quarters same with Sadio Mane you know again you know talk about delivering when your nation really needs you I think you know a big talking point over whether Sadio Mane should still be on the field when he scored that that wonderful goal to, to break the deadlock but um you know because I think under the the concussion protocols and all the rest of it he, he really should have been substituted after that horrific clash of heads but thankfully you know the bulletins he's provided since then is that he's he's okay. Obviously, he went to hospital to get himself checked out. So yeah, Mo and Sadio still still dreaming of Africa nations glory. But um, obviously, the the adventure over for Naby Keita with with Guinea going out, which means he'll be you know he'll be back around next week when the squad reconvene at the AXA training centre. Klopp's given the players this week off, and I think as people have seen on social media, and most of them have taken the chance to jet off on holiday to all different parts of the world and then, you know, Keita will be back in the mix ahead of that FA Cup tie against Cardiff. Right, thanks for all your questions on this uh, this mailbag special on the Red Agenda. Let's go to this one from Kyle who says, uh, this season has shown FSG's approach limits the possibilities of the club. Uh, is the summer the time to spend some proper money and will we buy an established player or players or is it likely to be potential that the club are out there looking for yeah I, th- I think there's a few things there certainly the you know the debate has rumbled on for years hasn't it about the FSG business model and the way they run the club and I don't think that's going to change anytime soon from the day that they bought Liverpool they said we are not going to be plowing our own money in in the same way as Abramovich did at Chelsea or the Sheikh Mansur at, at City it was very much build the business up everything that Liverpool generates as a club goes back into the mix, you know, and they don't take money out of it. So I completely understand the argument that, well, hang on a minute, when you've had, you know, what was it, a £300 million investment that's now valued at, certainly pre-pandemic was valued at two and a half to three billion. I can understand people saying, well, you know, has the time come to chuck in, you know, some of their own their own cash to, to supplement the, the revenues that the club does produce? But at the minute... There's no sign of that happening. I think it'll be intriguing whether that does change this summer because, of course, I think we've written about it numerous times on The Athletic that there's certainly an acceptance within the club that 
they need to guard against the squad becoming too old and too many players being in the twilight of their career at the same time. And that that process of refreshing and regenerating the squad does have to be stepped up a level in the next you know, 12 to, to 24 months. So that that's the intriguing thing for me. How do they do that? Because you either do that by changing the business model slightly and saying, well, actually, we're going to have to invest a significant amount of money on top of whatever is being generated by you know media revenues, commercial match day revenues, which obviously are now slowly recovering after the you know the devastating impact of the of the pandemic on on finances. Or do we see a repeat of what happened with Coutinho and then Van Dijk and Allison coming in, where you where you look to to cash in on a player who's got a high value because you believe that then you can reinvest that money really wisely. So. You know, I think those are the two real options, aren't they, in, in terms of what happens going forward if you're going to spend a significant amount of money. In terms of what kind of profile of players Liverpool will target, I would be very surprised if we see a move away from the kind of looking for players with a high ceiling who can, you know, who, who are still yet to fully kind of prove themselves and convince at the absolute highest level. I think, you know, it was, it was explained to me that, you know, when... When Liverpool come to signing replacements for, you know, whenever that is for Salah, Mane, Firmino, that you're looking for the next Salah, Mane, Firmino, kind of where they were at when Liverpool signed them, which wasn't the absolute, you know, top top level. It was players who had kind of, you know, almost, you know, certainly with those three players, you know, a lot of elite clubs that weren't really in the in the market for them, were they? And I think Klopp's always talked about. I want the next star rather than the current star. And I think to a large extent that means focusing their attentions on players kind of 25 or under. You know, I think someone like Diogo Jota is a good example of that. I mean, he wasn't cheap, was he, by any stretch of the imagination. He had Premier League experience, yet, you know, there weren't there weren't too many elite clubs around Europe clamouring to try and sign Diogo Jota. And then you look at how he's done since and he's absolutely gone to the next level. So, um, yeah, it's going to be really interesting to see what happens. I mean, obviously, a big part of that is what happens with the front three in terms of their contract situations. You know, you've, you know, the, you've got at the moment, unless anything's resolved in the next few months, you've got Salah, Mane, Firmino all going into their last year this summer. You know, at what, you know, at what point do you go, well, hang on, we can't have a, a position where we're having to try and replace those three all at the same time because not only would that be very, very difficult, it would also be incredibly expensive. So, you know, what what happens then? And I think that's why, at the minute, there's been such a big focus on Salah's situation and trying to get that sorted. Because I think what does happen with Salah will have a significant knock-on effect in terms of what happens with the futures of, of Mane and Firmino. Tom says, if Liverpool don't tie Salah down during this summer, is it going to undermine a lot of what Jurgen Klopp has actually built at the football club. Yeah, I think what it would undermine if they can't get that situation sorted is it would undermine something that I think Klopp has achieved, which was making Liverpool a final destination for elite players, that Liverpool is no longer kind of somewhere that players see as being great for them for a couple of years. But, you know, do you know what? You know, I'm probably going to have to move on at, at some point because, you know, either for financial reasons or... For, for success reasons, you know, we, we saw it you know, in the modern era. It's happened time and time again, hasn't it? That you'd see, you know, players having their heads turned, people like Torres and, 
and Alonso, you know, right through to you know Suarez and Raheem Sterling. And when Coutinho left, Klopp was very clear that you know this is a one-off. This will not happen, you know, kind of again in terms of you know we are creating something here where we keep our absolute best players. You know that you know that that goes without saying. You know, if someone leaves here, it's because we want them to leave. Because you know we don't we feel as if they've they've given us what we believe they can give us rather than they're actually walking away because they don't want to be here anymore but they're still absolutely elite and of course with Salah you know the the idea of losing him is absolutely you know devastating to Liverpool fans and so that that's why it is a I think it is a big big thing in terms of testing that in terms of showing that Liverpool can keep hold of someone at the moment is the best player in world football isn't he and and yes I understand. Why it's taken so long? I don't understand this idea that just I you know I keep seeing it kind of just pay him whatever he wants. But it's like well that's not that's not how business works. You don't do that. You don't just give someone exactly what they want. It's a negotiating process, and that process is ongoing at the minute. But you know there does come a time where you have to go well. Hang, you know this guy. Look at his numbers. I know he's he's getting better rather than worse. This needs to get sorted. And and also I think. As expensive as it is to keep Salah, and of course you're making a commitment to keeping him up to the age of 34, 35 even. But there's, I, don't, I just don't think there's any sign at the minute that that is a risk. I think he's operating at such an incredible high level. He's such an amazing athlete. He looks after himself to such a degree. We're seeing already players now playing on longer than, than players of previous generations. So, um, And then you've got the cost of trying to replace him. You know, Even if you're talking about you know the, the the numbers have been you know both parties have been very secretive in terms of you know what what numbers are, are being talked about and what kind of gap there is between them but you know even if you're talking about 350 grand a week you know yes that's an eye water and summer money to commit over say 4 years but you know imagine how much you'd have to spend to replace Mo Salah in the transfer market so yeah i think it is a big a big test because it, i think it would just send out a very bad message if if Liverpool weren't able to keep hold of Mo Salah. And broadening that, that conversation and looking at the, the bigger squad group, um, there's one here from Mark who says, are you worried that the big players are all going to reach their peak at the same sort of time? And it will be a case of trying to replace almost three quarters of the squad at one moment in time. So we saw this season, of course, some of the main players all getting contract extensions. But I think Mark's concerned that actually further down the line, is this going to create a bigger problem? Yeah, and, and I think that is an issue that Liverpool are wary of, although I think it can be overstated. Like, you know, sometimes people kind of talk about, oh, you know, it's a really ageing team. And it's like, well, actually, yeah, there are certain elements of that's true in terms of, you know, if you look at the front three, of course, they're either 30 already or about to turn 30 um you know obviously you've got you've got Henderson you've got Milner coming to the end of of his contract this summer you'd expect Milner at the moment probably more likely than not that he that he will move on but then you look at other areas of the team and you think well hang on a minute well Allison what's Allison 29 he's probably got 10 years potentially of being Liverpool number one ahead of him you look at the two fullbacks you know Trent and Robertson aren't going anywhere anytime soon you know they've bought Canate clearly with one eye on the long term Joe Gomez is still is still young in football in terms, you know, and then and then you've got you know someone Cade Gordon, Harvey Elliott, players like this. So I think it's not a case of Liverpool have got a team full of thirty one, thirty two year olds, 
and they've just kind of completely ignored the future. I think I think there is a process of refreshing there. Even in the front line, you look at what's Jota, 25. Liverpool would say, well, that's already evolved in terms of the front line, really, with the impact that Jota's had since he's come in. You know, Fabinho has still got years ahead of him as well, and he, you know he's an absolutely integral part of that side. So what? You know, Thiago's obviously I think just turned 30, hasn't he? So yeah, I think that is something to be wary of. But I also think it can be overstated when you actually look that there, there is a, a fairly decent sprinkling of youth in there as well. Oh, Curtis Jones obviously would be another name to to throw into that mix as well. You know, Curtis Jones has got all the tools needed to be a Liverpool midfielder for the long term, in my opinion. And you know, and, and you know, what is he? Twenty one years of age. Yeah, it does feel like there's a there's a sort of gradual, longer term rebuild already in place. Uh, Jacob wants to know who's more likely to stay beyond this summer. There's a biggie: Firmino or Sadio Mane, or do they both stay beyond this summer? <laughs> I wish I knew the answer to that question. Again, it comes back to what we said earlier. I think in terms of, I think there's an impact there on what happens with Mo Salah's contract discussions because I think. You know, obviously, at the minute, Salah has been the absolute priority in trying to get him tied down. He's also clearly the most, most valuable of of those three players who are all out of contract in summer 2023. So then, inevitably, and I don't know the answer to this, is what happens if we get to July and Mo Salah is still in exactly the same position as he's in now? What happens then? You know, do Liverpool then accept the strong possibility of losing Salah for nothing in 2023 or as unpalatable as it sounds do you do you listen to offers for him and then you know of course whatever happens with Salah has a, ma- a knock-on effect in terms of Firmino and Mane I think if and this is obviously purely hypothetical say say for argument's sake Salah does sign his contract in the next few months which people at the club are still very hopeful of then you know, what happens with, with Mane and Firmino you know you'd say at the minute, in footballing terms, I'd say Sadio Mane is more important to Liverpool than Firmino in terms of what he still offers on a weekly basis. But if you were looking at it purely from a financial point of view, you'd say that, that Sadio Mane has a much higher resale value if if he was entering the final year of his contract this summer and you thought, well, you know, we don't, we don't want to risk losing him for nothing in 2023. So... Yeah, I think that's why that is almost an impossible question to answer at the minute. Because in footballing terms, if if one of those two players you mentioned, Steve, were going to leave this summer, I think in footballing terms you'd probably say, well, with the rise of Jota and you know the young players Liverpool have got coming through, you you know Firmino's the oldest one of the of the three whose contracts are running down. He would be the most obvious one to go. But then, does that make sense financially? Because I think I don't think there's a massive market for Firmino in terms of getting a big fee for him. It's like an intense game of chess behind the scenes, isn't it? Nothing's absolutely clear-cut at the moment, is it, James? No, no, no. And I think that's why when you think of Julian Ward's intray when he takes over next summer, it could be, you know, very, very full in terms of the kind of things that are still hanging over that, that Michael Edwards passes on at the end of his tenure. And obviously there's a, a gradual kind of passing the baton on at the minute on that, on that front. And, you know, it's, to my, as far as I'm concerned, you know, where everything is is amicable in 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 terms of Michael Edwards's exit. But yeah, it there's a lot. There's going to be a lot for Julian Ward to to sort out. And you and you know, and then also looming in the background, you've also got you know at the minute Jurgen Klopp's own contract is is up in the summer of 2024. So you, you know you're now 
you know, with with contract extensions, you're now in that mix of actually, you know, you're talking to players to try and get them to commit beyond the time of the current manager. And I know a few years back when Klopp signed his last extension, he said, you know, he was quite happy with the contract he had. But he said, you know, it, it does become a talking point when you know, agents are like, well, hang on a minute, you know, what, what's your plan? Because, um, you know, if you want my client to stay to, you know, 2023 or whatever it was at the time, you know, will you still be here then? When obviously Klopp is such a, a massively influential figure in these players' careers. So, um, and at the minute, there's nothing to suggest that, that Jurgen Klopp will stay around beyond 2024. I think FSG would be absolutely over the moon if he, if he turned around and said he wanted another extension. But up to now, everything has pointed to the fact he wants to take a break from football at that point. Wow, what a moment that would be. I mean, Jonathan and Benjamin exactly on this topic of both put questions in saying, can you tell us a little bit about the succession planning and how it will work in terms of trying to replace Jurgen Klopp? I mean, is this Julian Ward? Is this is this his biggest job, essentially? Yeah, you know, that, that kind of, I think, brings home, doesn't it, the gravity and the, the size of the of the job that he's been given, which and also says a lot about the huge respect and admiration the owners have got for his work previously. The fact that they believe that Julian Ward is the man to to help make these you know massively defining decisions and um, yeah, appointing Jurgen Klopp's successor is going to be absolutely absolutely right up there, isn't it? I always think you know, things change so fast in football. Now you only have to look around the league and you know who who was the flavour of the month. 12 months ago, 18 months ago, who, you know, this idea that you could have like a clear plan in place years in advance, I just don't buy. And that, that's why I don't honestly believe even, you know, Mike Gordon, I don't think even he knows at the minute who will be the manager after Klopp, because like I said, I think they, they would not have absolutely given up hope that, that Jurgen Klopp might have, might have a second thoughts and decide he wants to hang around longer. And if he did, you know, of course, they'd be absolutely delighted. I think what What's pretty clear is, you know, what will be two and a half years out at the minute from summer 2024, that there's two obvious candidates, you know, one right under their nose at the minute in Pep Linders, who, you know, we talked about it on the pod a few months back, that anyone who doesn't think Pep Linders is a serious candidate to take over from Klopp, you know, misunderstands the esteem in which he is held at all levels of the club, because not only is he an elite coach, but... You know, he's a fantastic communicator, very, very articulate. You know, you only have to watch his press conferences when he's given those responsibilities before and after domestic cup ties. And and he's also fiercely ambitious in terms of, you know, you do get number twos who are more than happy at being as a number two away from the spotlight. You don't have that scrutiny and pressure and expectation on your shoulders every day. But Pep Linders wants that. You know, he's been a coach for like 20 years. It's, it's crazy for someone who, you know, I think he only turned 39 this week. So he, he has to be a big part of the conversation. I'm sure he will be in 2024 when the time comes. And, and then obviously Steven Gerrard, who I would be very surprised if the next manager wasn't one of those two. Because, I mean, of course, there's like a romantic, emotional notion with Gerrard and coming back. But I also just think, having watched his managerial career blossom in recent years. I just think he is, there's no doubt he is on a, a course that will take him to Anfield. It's just a question of when, you know, will it, will it be after Klopp or will it be, will it be the one after that? You know, any, anyone who knew Steven Gerrard, the player in terms of his, his drive and his hunger and his knowledge, 
you know, I don't think anyone who knew him would have been surprised at how well he's done in management so far, what he did up at Rangers, and then, you know, I thought it was the perfect next step for him at Villa. Again, things can change fast in football, can't they? But, you know, two and a half years out, I would be very, very surprised if, if the next manager wasn't either, either Pep Linders or Steven Gerrard. Let's go to some young players. A uh, couple of questions here. Richard says, is it Liverpool's plan to move Nico Williams on in the summer? And is Connor Bradley a realistic replacement? And at the same time, on the young players um, scene, Ryan wants to know, is Muzzolowski, who's, who's certainly sort of brimming there, isn't he, on the, the edge of the first-team squad, is it saying, is Muzzolowski close to a first-team call-up after impressing so much in the youth? Yeah, well, certainly on Nico Williams... You know, I wouldn't. I wouldn't be massively surprised if if there was some interest in him before this deadline next week in January, because Liverpool were open to the idea of selling him last summer. You know, there was there was talk of you know a ten million pound asking price, and there's just like a kind of an understanding at Liverpool about Nico's position in terms of obviously there's a World Cup in Qatar at the end of this year. He needs to be playing regular club football really, and he's certainly good enough to be doing that at a high level. Yet. You know, of course, at Liverpool, he has the misfortune behind being behind the the best right back in European football for me in Trent Alexander Arnold. So his his game time is bound to be limited. And then I think also when Liverpool look at it and see Connor Bradley and the way in which he's performed, you know, and obviously he's a bit younger than Nico as well, and probably more happy at the minute to to bide his time and learn his trade as an understudy. I think that's why Liverpool are open to considering offers where you know. I, I was told potentially like a loan for the rest of this season with an option with an option or an obligation. Probably Liverpool would rather for the summer for Nico Williams. So yeah, I, I think it probably we probably will see him move on. If it's not this month, then in the summer. Uh, in ter- terms of Muzalowski, I think he's just been on the fringes, hasn't he? You know, he was. Um, I think it was interesting to hear Virgil Van Dijk speaking glowingly about him recently because we've seen you know, obviously a lot of young players take that step up this season. He hasn't quite taken that step yet, but he's certainly someone who I think has got the potential to. You know, I, lo- I love watching him when you watch the the academy games and you, you think of that. You know, the obviously the next round of the FA Youth Cup against Chelsea coming up, and I'm sure Klopp will have one eye on that. So you know, for Muzalowski, he's got to see that as a as a big opportunity to to try and prove to Klopp that that he that he does merit that um, that step up, which you know, of course it. It is huge, you know, trying to trying to bridge that divide between youth football and and senior football. Yet, you know, there is a lot of excitement around the the Polish youngster, and and rightly so. You know, he just has to make sure that he's got the, you know, the work ethic to to go with his da- dazzling skills. Because as we know with Klopp, it doesn't matter how how talented you are with the ball at your feet, if you're not doing it off the ball, then you know you you, you don't have a future with him. Yeah, and he's already got goals this season, hasn't he? Uh, Muzalowski's got a hat-trick against Fleetwood in the, the third round of that Youth Cup. He scored again in the fourth round against uh, Burnley as well. So he's he's certainly putting his hand up and saying, take notice of me. Right, let's, let's just finish on... Uh, it is transfer deadline, very close. And of course, as a, as a journalist, it's, it's a relatively stressful time if you think your club is going to be signing some players. That's probably not the case with Liverpool. But Andy wants to know... With the transfer window almost over, what's the worst transfer to cover that actually never even happened? <laughs> well, there's been a few, hasn't there, with Liverpool? I think, um, you know, I, I think back to 
to being on the preseason tour in I think it was 2012 with uh, Loic Remy, who um, you know being at the team hotel in Boston and and Loic Remy turning up with his uh, with his entourage and you know and you were like well you know he's he's come for, you know, we were told he's come for his medical everything has been agreed and we were just waiting for the for the green light and I think we a few of us who were there on that trip the reporters had been told that he was going to get the you know the famous number number seven shirt but it was like well you know we'll we'll just wait wait with that nugget of information until you know that we've um you know, we've had the green light from his from his medical and then it was like the green light never came and then the next day people who you would have half expect to return messages suddenly they weren't being returned and and then it was suddenly a position where actually there was an issue with the medical and and that deal never happened so um yeah and then I guess you know the other crazy one was Nabil Fakir where it's not very often is it that a player's actually done his introductory chat with the club media and put the shirt on and pose for pictures and you know, and, and and I don't know whether that video is still knocking around at Chapel Street somewhere, but it would be um it would be intriguing to watch it because um again kind of told what you know the deal is done yes you know everything's going ahead you know even at one point that day I remember getting a message off someone saying I think it was going to be a six p.m. announcement that so you're like well brilliant obviously everything every last little detail has now been sorted and then six p.m. came and went. And then it was probably late that evening that you started to think something's not quite right here. And um, <laughs> and then obviously, subsequently, all kinds of stories have been told about certainly people I'd spoken to had suggested there was an issue with his knee that, that put Liverpool off at the 11th hour. Yet, you know, obviously Fakir since has been adamant that it wasn't that and it was something to do with on the agent side of things and, and, and a financial issue. So... Um, yeah, you you think there's there's been a few sagas, hasn't there? Even even do I think I think back to Kono Plyanka when Ian Eyre was in deepest Ukraine, desperately trying to pull that deal off, and you know even I think he found over there that even even release clauses don't necessarily count for anything because I think you know Liverpool were adamant they triggered this release clause and they they transferred the payment that they expected to transfer to a holding account and the. The billionaire owner of of the club over there just completely refused to to let him go. So uh, that was a, a fruitless trip and a, a fruitless week of writing about a player that ended up not coming to Liverpool. So um, <laughs> yeah, I don't think there'll be a a similar a similar one between now and and deadline day. But you never know because things do suddenly come out of nowhere. But um, I think you know we we said back in December that it would be a quiet window for Liverpool and. And so it's proved, and um, and although I think the debate will rumble on about whether Liverpool do have sufficient depth, and we've talked about it so many times, haven't we, Steve? In terms of you know the decision not to replace Genie Wijnaldum when he left last summer, and whether there's sufficient cover in the front line, you know, especially in terms of when you're looking at going toe to toe with the absolute best in the Champions League in the latter stages. But you'd have to stay say that January without the big guns is has worked out pretty well for Liverpool, so now they just have to ensure they build on that. James will be on guard just in case, and of course, uh, the very latest updates on The Athletic. Thank you so much for all the questions. We couldn't get through them all. There was literally tons of them, but I think we've managed to sort of encapsulate many of the topics that you've been asking about. James, thank you. Absolutely superb. Check out his latest piece on The Athletic, talking about some of the tactical analysis uh, on how Liverpool play. And thank you for listening to The Red Agenda. We're back up again next week.